Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you via the Secret Library Podcast Patreon. You can check it out with our all-new levels, including opportunities to get solo episodes and custom Q&A episodes from me at patreon.com slash secret library. This is episode 143 of the Secret Library podcast. My guest this week is Rainer Wynn, who is a long-distance walker and writer. Her first book, The Salt Path, was a Sunday Times bestseller in 2018 in the UK. Wynne and her husband, Moth, who is diagnosed with a terminal illness called corticobasal degeneration, became homeless after a bad investment and decided to walk the 630 mile southwest coast path in England. This story amazes me so much. I think that there are points everyone faces in life when you think, oh, I can't handle this. And I, I think that being without a home is something that all of us fear more than anything else. And reading Rainer Wynn's book, as well as speaking to her, was so incredibly inspiring, not only because she took a really challenging experience and was able to find a positive side, but also in learning how she went about turning this incredible experience into a book that has since inspired so many others. I, I know you're going to be thrilled to hear from Rainer. I was just buzzing the whole day after speaking to her. So enjoy this episode with Rainer Wynn. Hi, Ray. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, hi. It's a pleasure. I'm so it's it's so lovely to see the incredible response that the Salt Path has had, both in the UK and now as it's going to be out in the US. And it's really delightful to talk to you, having read the book, which really is pretty transformative. So I'm wondering how it was. Did you know from when you first started this incredible process of of walking? that it might one day be a book, or were you just trying to get by at the beginning and later on the idea came to you? When we started a walk, we had no idea that it would, we would write a book. Um, we started walking simply as a way of finding a way forwards, something to take us out of that moment of complete crisis and despair, and something that would give us a reason to go forwards and then coming days of our future because at that time it just felt like a complete void so we walked simply to follow a line on a map something to just show us the way um and, and we had no idea that we would write well that i would write the book um and we didn't keep a journal as some people have asked we we just kept a few notes in the guidebook that we we were using at the time that's amazing. Yeah, I wondered because there was mention of an A4 
notebook of some sort in an early packing list. So I was like, was there a notebook? Was there not a notebook? It was an A5 notebook, yes. (laughs) I did pack it, but um, very quickly it just got discarded because it seemed like unnecessary weight. Because the the packs were uh, at 50, they were feeling ridiculously heavy. Um, So we we chucked out everything that we felt we could do without, which was my journal, which didn't get used. So the notes that we did keep were just in the margins of the guidebook. That's amazing. So at what point did it start to feel like it might be a book? I didn't um, think about writing it even. Um, I didn't consider writing a book until maybe two years after we'd finished the walk. I think it was at that point that I'd I'd come to a point in my life where I'd realised that um, that that walk hadn't been just a physical journey. It had very much been an emotional journey. And I was beginning to to sort of assimilate what it had given us and how much sort of um, mental strength we'd taken from that time. Um, and considering then that the diagnosis that my husband Moss had had um, would involve a point where he he would start to lose his memory and he would start to forget what we'd done and where we'd come from. So I, I, I felt I would write down the notes that were in the margin of the guidebook and make them into more like a journal so that when he started to forget, I could put it in front of him and say, look at this, look what we did, you know, keep trying. But as I started to write it, it it became way more than a series of notes. It actually turned into a narrative at that point, and then, and then I knew I was writing a book. That's so lovely. And then, uh, what? Uh, how was the process of, of writing it? Did you feel because the detail is so rich in there, and I'm, I'm certain that the experience was so profound that that detail was kind of burned in from all of the things that you did that you probably never thought you would ever do. Um, how was it, how was it remembering and going back through the experience this time writing it? Uh, yes, I I think it had been, as you said, such a profound experience that it was something that I definitely didn't want to forget. Um, and a lot of people have said, but you must have kept a journal, um, (laughs) detailed journal, because all these details are here, but we didn't. But the guidebook that we used has obviously the guide, the written guide to the Southwest Coast Path. But running through that guidebook is also a, an OS map, of the, an ordnance survey map of the complete path, the whole 630 miles. And then on each page in each relevant spot were our notes saying this is where we camped, we met this person. So when I started to look back through the guidebook and I could read that, the guide and, and follow the map and then our notes. It was as if, very quickly, as if I was back on the path. And, and as I started to get into it, it was as if I could, I could almost smell the sea and I could hear the gulls and I was, I was back there. And, and as, as the process sort of progressed along, um, it became as if I was walking the path again, as if I was re-experiencing those moments and and as you said they have been burnt in by the by the 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 incredible experience because it had been so yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I, I can see where those there's something about place, I think, that's so significant in the book and in the way that memory works. And if you could visualize from the guidebook, okay, this is where I was, this is what I was seeing, and we met this person, and then, you know, we, we stopped at this place, and this is where we got food, and so on. I can see where it would all come right back, and you wouldn't need a blow-by-blow journal. That's right. That's right. If it... And I'm sure everybody does it. If if you really, really put yourself back into the place where where you're remembering, then so many things come back to you that that you think you've forgotten, but you haven't. Um, and and it's it's a it's a really immersive process. Uh, and once once you're back into into that situation, or or you've allowed your yourself to go back into that environment, then then you can re re well not I was gonna say reimagine, but that's not a word because you're not imagining it. You you're actually there so you, you can record it then almost. So that's that was the process for me anyway. Do you think it changed what you were writing to write it after the fact? Because I wonder how it might have been different. Like your obviously your experience and your thought process and the feelings that you were having in the moment on the path would be one sort of experience. But then several years later, having been able to take a step back and and have different experiences afterwards, do you think that changed what you ultimately wrote? Um, I don't think it changed what I wrote because, as I said, I was writing it for Moss. Mm. And so I wanted it to be as accurate to how it had been, what we'd felt, how what we'd seen, the people we'd encountered, but primarily how we felt. Um, I, I wanted it to be as accurate as it could be, so that when he did read it, it would take him there too, and it wouldn't be like him reading a story. He would know it, because that's how it had been. Um, and so that was all part of the process of writing it, because... Because as I started to write it, I thought, if I don't give over the true depth of how I felt at that time, or what what we really saw, then there's no point me actually writing it because then it wouldn't it wouldn't convey to anybody who read it what I was trying to put over. Um, so that was all part of the process, really, to stay as accurate to how I really felt at the time as I could. Obviously. Obviously, with hindsight, it's easier to look back on events and see how something on day two might have died, tied in with something on day 92, which you, don't, you can't know at the time. You can't know that. Um, so with hindsight, I could see how one event early on might have followed through to something else. Yeah. Um, but I tried to write it as accurately as I could, but knowing that at the point on day two, I didn't know what was coming. So, Yeah, there was a so. tremendous amount of suspense in it. I mean, even knowing that you had, you know, gotten to the end of the experience and written a book and, and made this process, there was still the sense of really staying close to the day-by-day experience, of really being uncertain as to, okay, what's going to be in the bank account today? What are, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to stop? How is this going to work? Is someone going to harass us? All of those things, um, which I thought was really, really impressive and, and engaging as a reader to really feel like you were going on the trip as, um, along with you. 
that's, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I wanted to convey. Um, uh, it's been criticised by some people for maybe being a bit repetitive or a bit boring, but that's what a long-distance walk is. And um, I didn't I, find I it boring to... at all. I couldn't put it down. That's really shocking to me that <laughs> well, someone maybe said that. that's someone who, who isn't really reading it for, for the true essence of what I was trying to say. I, I wanted Gavida to feel as if they were walking it with me. Not to be, you know, just observing people walking. But I, w- I wanted them to feel the path. I wanted them to to feel how hard it was on the knees to go down into that valley and how difficult it was to climb back out. And then that, that incredible sense of of the wind and the smell of the ozone and the gulls lifting up from beneath you as you came up onto the top of the cliff. I really wanted the the reader to feel as if they were walking that path too. Um, so, so if that's come across, then fantastic. Well, it definitely did for me. <laughs> I will say for me that yes, I, I felt it for sure. I, oh, good. <laughs> I wonder what, so, so you wrote the book, how long did it take you to get the whole story down in a written form? I started writing the book in September of 2006. 16. Okay. And I completed the first draft by the following March. So that was the first draft. T- probably took about five five months, six months yeah. to get that first draft down. But but bear in mind, this is the first thing I've written. So so the whole process was completely new to me of, of doing that. So that first draft, but then, then I went away from it for a couple of months and then went back to it and um, completely re-edited it at that point before anyone read it at all. So, yeah. And then at what point when you were in that process did you realise that maybe somebody other than Moth and maybe your family would want to read it and would connect to the story possibly? Well, I, I finished that edit that I did myself and, and I'd been quite ruthless with it. So I'd sort of stripped out everything that if I was reading somebody else's book I, I would think I don't like that I like it out. <laughs> and then I rewrote it so that it really said how I felt or you know anything that I'd written that didn't really describe something in the way I wanted it to I just rewrote it so that was quite a quite you know a, a drawn out process in itself so when I'd finished it was nearly Moth's birthday, so I gave him the manuscript for his birthday. Mm. Um, and inevitably, my daughter read it before he did because, you know, that's the way of children, isn't it? <laughs> and um, um, when she'd read it, she was saying, yeah, Mum, this is actually quite good. Maybe you should try and do something with it. So it, it was only at that point that I started to think, OK, well, maybe, maybe it actually is a book. Maybe it is something right. that I, can, I could do something with. So then what, so how, so you've got your daughter's input and I, I loved her presence throughout the, throughout the book, how, especially when you first <laughs> talked about the walk and she was like, are you mad? And then your son just said, oh, that sounds quite cool. I loved how their personalities came out in their reactions. Um, and now here she is looking out for you like, you know, I actually think you might want to do something with this. So then when you had that thought, 
what what happened next? Well, it seemed like a, a ridiculous idea, actually, to think that I could get something published. Now, by then, I was, I don't know, how old was I? I don't know. I was in my 50s anyway. Um, and I'd never published anything, not even an article anywhere, nothing. So the idea that a, a, a publisher or an agent would even consider me was just seemed a little bit ridiculous. Um, but then I thought maybe I could write something for a magazine. Mm. And there's a, a magazine in the UK called Big Issue. I don't know if, if you might have heard of that or not. It's, it's a magazine that's sold by homeless people and it allows them to get back on their feet. Oh, but it's a really lovely. interesting magazine full of really interesting articles. So I offered them a piece about rural homelessness, which we'd encountered quite a lot of, so it seemed like something I could have something to say about. Um, I told them I'd written a book, um, and um, based on that, I, I could write an article for them about rural homelessness. And very quickly, they came back and said, OK, send us it. We'll see what it, what it looks like. Um, so I did, and they published it, which was great. Um, in the summer of 2017, that was published. Um, and that went down quite well. There was quite a lot of positive feedback to the magazine from that, um, which sort of gave me a little bit of encouragement that maybe mm. with that, I could take that forward to an agent. So that, that's the way it went. Amazing. So how long did it take you to find an agent? Did they Were they snapping you up immediately? I just, you know, it's always easy to think this, seeing what happens later with a book. But in the early phases, much like the early part of the walk, you don't know how much is going to come later. Well, yes. Um, now, my agent that I do have now has told me that I've always got to qualify this statement by saying this isn't what normally happens. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Obviously, knowing nothing about publishing or having any connections whatsoever, my first port of call was Google. So I Googled for a non-fiction agent. Um, and then I thought, I'm not going to go for the big ones, you know, the, the, the big names or the big agencies, because, because I've got no credentials, they're not going to even give me a second look. So I thought I'd go for a slightly smaller agent, but one that sort of like had a more sort of like niche presence with mm. with things that represented people's health and well-being and that sort of idea. And then I approached, I looked again, and it was got lots of agencies full of lots of young men, and I thought they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand the story. And so I, I narrowed it down a little bit more to an agency that had two women and I sent them a, an email and the first couple of chapters and um, had my fingers crossed as I pressed send uh, that was on the Friday on the Monday they emailed me back and asked for the full manuscript amazing and by the following Friday I'd signed with them so it was a very for me a very lucky choice uh, because they've been great so well, I think that's Very an important thing to note, though, is that it's not uh, that you have to trust your instincts and also to look at somebody that you think will understand the book that you're writing. That's right. I felt that was really essential in, in that process. 
looking back on that, I know it was essential in that process was to find someone who, who could connect with the story. Who I, I felt could connect with the story. Obviously, I wouldn't know because I didn't know them. But um, it, it's always a guess. It's always going to be a gamble, isn't it, when, when anyone does these things. But I think the, the more narrowed the search, the more targeted the, the way you look for an agent, then obviously you've got to have a better better chance of finding one that's right for you. Yes. And so so they how long was it then once they had they've asked for the full book, how how long did it take them to place it and then have it published? Uh well that was in September. Um and then we put together a proposal to go out to the publishers. So you know, the whole package of, of like, summarising the book and, and looking at its marketplace and all that sort of thing, um, which the, pub- she, the agent put together as a, a proposal to go to the publishers. She then put it out to the publishers. Um, she, I, she, she must have sent it to probably ten, I would think, yeah. of which there were about five that came back with fairly positive, positive reactions and... Um, so at that point we were we were getting on in a year. It was it was probably Octo- into October by then. Um, and uh, so we booked up a day of going to see three publishers, and the first one on the list of publishers that we were going to see was Penguin Michael Joseph. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought we were just going to go and see um, the young editor that had picked it up out of the pile. Um, but when I got there, uh, there was a, a round table with about five people. Wow. Including the, the head of Michael Joseph and the head of publishing. And, um, and I was terrified. I of was course. absolutely terrified because it was Penguin. I mean, Penguin's like, it was like the dream publisher. You know, if, if somebody had said to me as my 10-year-old self that I had a little dream that I might write a book with a penguin on the spine, actually you will. It would have been like, okay, my life's going to be a fantasy. Um, but, right. You know, at 10, I wouldn't have known what came in between, would I? No. Um, so when when I was there, I was obviously really nervous. And um, Louise Moore, the, the head of Michael Joseph, said, just to put you at your ease, we want your book. So that was <laughs> the first words that came to me from a publisher, from my dream publisher. And it was it was just obviously... You know, I can't say anything. It's a bit of a cliche, but it really was a bit of a dream come true. Of course. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then I think the fact that, you know, the book went to number one, you know, all of these things that happened after the fact, I think it's it's such an important evidence of of somebody who felt, you know, it was my story going to make a difference to anyone. Obviously, your story has made a difference to so many people. Uh, yes, yeah, and that's been completely unexpected for me because obviously when I wrote it, and if you read the book, you'll know it was a very personal story, and um, it, I was—it's it, just a very personal story. Um, so the, the, when I was writing it, I don't think I was really thinking about the impression that it might, might make on other people or what they might take from it. But I think there are so many themes in that book, so many themes of loss and trauma and illness and and things that so many of us experience 
I mean, I, I don't think there are many of us that get through life without without life just falling apart in one way or another at some point. And I don't, I don't think I realised that at the point when I was writing it. But but it's the process of what you do after that I think so many people have connected with is is how how do we deal with those moments of crisis in our life? Um, so so that's been. That's been really, really an eye-opener for me that there have been so many people that have connected with it. Absolutely. And I think there were so many insights that I found really moving. I mean, the book is really vulnerable. Like, you're very open about what the experience is like. And one part in particular that really struck me was when you talk about the difference in perception that people had of you and Moth on the Path when they thought you had sold the house versus when you said we lost the house and how that completely changed people's reactions. And I found that so striking and, and heartbreaking. And I'm wondering how that's carried through, you know, now that you're in different circumstances, but how you feel about people um, having been through this experience. Yeah, I think that, that was such a shock to me that, that when we said to people that we were homeless and we got nowhere to go, that they would almost physically recoil, you know, draw their dog in on a retractable reed or gather their children. Um, and that, that came as such a surprise because to us, we were still the same people, just without a home. Um, but to find that our position in other people's perceptions had changed so much, um, really did um, readers to to sort of, well, for me especially, to lose that real sense of self, that sense of who I was. So so we did develop a, a, a little tactic for, for sidestepping that. So when people said, you know, how, how long, how come you've got so much time to walk so far? Uh, we did start to say, well, it's because we've sold our house and we're just having a midlife moment going where the wind blows. And then the reaction would be, oh, wow, inspirational. So the difference in our perception of what we see a person as, the moment we know that they're homeless, was such a surprise. And it did lead me to start to feel a little bit outside, mm. outside of normal society, stepped back from other people, a little bit other, I think. Um and, and that, I think a sense of that, I think I've probably still carry a sort of element of that with me now. And I think it may not ever leave me. That sense of, of how other people see us is, is defined by a very fine line. Um, and it's so easy to cross that line one way or another in other people's perceptions it has possibly made me a little bit more cautious of 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 being so uh, so um honest maybe about myself i don't know i don't know but in some ways i'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad i did experience that because I, I i felt i could put that experience into the book and maybe maybe anyone reading it might just maybe read it and think maybe I'll just look at that person just a little differently next time. I don't know. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think also there's there's sort of these phases that you have in the book, like as someone who, well, I mean, I can think of numerous, but, you know, you know, have a family and running the vacation rental and having a farm and that whole phase. And then 
fighting in a court and dealing with that situation and then losing the home and then being out on the path, but now being a best-selling author and, you know, dealing with like, oh, look at how people look at me now. Interesting that that, you know, that that changes everything when really I'm the same person. I just happen to be doing something slightly different at the moment. Exactly. Um, I'm exactly the same person as I was when I finished walking that path. I'm not going to say I'm the same person I was before I started walking it because I think it, it changed me in some ways that, that I may not go back to. But, uh, but I think no matter what we experience, it, it led to the book. And, and having, having written what I've written, I feel um, it, it was an experience that I wouldn't want to, to not have had now. Um, someone asked me the other day, um, if you could go back and have your life back as it was before, um, how would you feel? And um, I I actually think it would be, in so many ways, obviously, it would be lovely. We'd have our home. We'd have the same lifestyle we had before. Um, But Moth's illness wouldn't go away. It would still be there. And we wouldn't have found ways that that, um, maybe have stalled its progression or held him in a point of moderate health for a lot longer than the consultants suggested that he would do. Right. So for that, for that point alone, I wouldn't change what happened to us. I wouldn't change having gone through what we did. Um, but also the fact that what we went through has, has had an influence on other people is, is so uplifting for me personally. Um, not long after I'd written the um, Big Issue article, I was walking on the coast path and I met someone walking towards me who was obviously a backpacker, but not your average backpacker. He'd got a face full of piercings and he was wearing a, a reflective roadman jacket and he'd got an old-style looksack with a frame on the outside. And, and So as I approached him, I was saying, you know, how far are you going? You know, what are you, where are you going? What are you doing? And um, he said he'd been walking for two weeks because he'd started at the most southerly point in England, on the Lizard Point. And he'd walked as far as to the point where I met him. Um, But up to those two weeks ago, prior to that, he'd been living rough, sleeping on the streets of Exeter, Mm. a city in the south of England. And... um, at that point, he'd read an article in the Big Issue magazine about a woman who'd been homeless and had walked the coastal path. So he'd borrowed all the equipment he needed and he'd set out to do it himself. So I said, well, come back and have a cup of tea, have something to eat. And he said, no, this experience has changed my life. I've got to go and find somewhere to put my tent up. I've got to stick to this routine because my life has changed and I'll never go back to my old life. So for me, for all the responses that I've had from anyone, um, to just have influenced that one man's life for me, made it worthwhile. Made it, certainly made it worthwhile. How extraordinary that he walked right up to you, the person who had written the article that got him started in the first place. 
I know, I know, it's so stunning. And lots of people have said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you say who you were? Oh, you didn't tell but him? I, I didn't tell him because I just couldn't because it was about him. It was about his moment mm. and, and his life. And I just didn't feel in that moment I could, I could say, you know, hello, that's me. Um, <laughs> it just didn't seem right at the time. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe maybe he'll hear this later and he'll say, oh, oh my maybe. God, it was her. <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> Amazing. So so what's happening for you now? I mean, the book is now out in multiple countries and you're having lots of interest about it. Uh, what is it? You know, you never thought you'd write a book before this. What are what are you looking at in terms of writing now? Has that changed as well? Uh, yes, because to go on to write something else, it's, it feels like such a, a, a pleasure, you know, to, for someone to ask me to go on to write something else. It's like, yes, life doesn't get any better than that, does it? Um, so I've written a few articles, articles for magazines, things about the walk, things about nature and homelessness and, and numerous other topics that have risen from the salt path. Uh, but as now, I'm just in the early days of starting um, the next book so that's going to be a a book about moving on from a traumatic event in your life and how how you take that and assimilate that and take it forward and then combined with some more walking and another very very unusual experience in my life um has risen from the outcome of the salt path um so that's going to be the next book. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, yeah. <laughs> so what is your relationship to the path now? Are you still living really close to it um, as yeah. you had moved there at the end of the book? I wondered, I'm like, yeah. oh, do they go back to it? I was so, I, I'm glad there's another book well, coming we because to, there were so uh, many things I wanted to know even after this one was finished. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the book, um, we eventually do find somewhere to live. Um, and we have lived there up until just a few weeks ago. Um, but that place where we lived, it was right on the coast path. So we walked on the coast path every single day. But we have just in the last few weeks moved, and now we are literally only a few miles up the road. So the coast path still features very, very large in our lives. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So if, if someone listening has had an experience and maybe is where you were early on thinking, oh, you know, I don't have the credentials or will anybody ever want to hear, you know, what I have to say? Would it, would what I have to share matter? What, what would you suggest based on your experience? I think, I think possibly the, the thing that got my manuscript seen was good. I'd worked so hard on it. So I would say make that manuscript the best you possibly can. Don't let go of something that's half finished or or you're not beyond happy with. I, I would say I got to the point where I felt I was doing edits and then putting it back to how it had been before. So, so um it, it was the best I felt I could possibly make it. Um, primarily that, I would say. But if you've got something to say, don't don't say it 
in, in a way that you think other people want to hear. Say it in a way you really, really want to say it, because then it will come across with, with all the heart and passion and, and reality that you want it to have and not some reflection of what you think other people want to hear. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that can be scary because what you've shared is, is very vulnerable. I mean, it's, you know, things about your relationship, your family, the illness, all kinds of scary things that have happened. And how did you kind of take care of yourself in knowing this was going to be out in the world and that other people were going to see the story after it was published? Um, I think because I, I look at the book now as um, a sort of time capsule in a way. It was that moment in our lives. And it, it's not my whole life, but it's a moment in my life that I was happy to share with other people because it had influenced me so much. Um, and I think if I'd held things back, if I'd held back how I felt or how we were as a couple, then it wouldn't really have explained what I was trying to say. So what, the information I put in the book was information I was happy to let go. I, I was at an event um, last week and someone in the audience asked me, um, how do you feel about having so much personal information in that book and, and thousands of people reading it? Um, and then you're coming here and talking to us about it. And um, I think I just had to say, well, now everybody who reads that book actually knows me really too well. So I can go into an event now and not really have to explain myself too deeply because it's like having a conversation with a room full of friends because they all know me now right down to you know, my bowel habits. So there's nothing else to explain, is there? <laughs> That's lovely. I think that's true. And I think I can't imagine, I mean, again, hearing that someone thought it was boring, as you said earlier, just is crazy to me. But it's, it seems like the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive, which is a wonderful experience as well. Oh, it has. It has been really, really positive. And it's been so lovely for me to get the feedback that I have um, and that so many people have been able to relate to the story or, or relate to parts of it to what's happening in their own lives. And, and in a way, I think that's, that's the lovely thing about finding out that something that you think is just really, really personal to you and your burden alone to carry um, is actually maybe not in the same detail as you, but in, in so many elements of what we go through ourselves is, is something universal. And there are so many other people experiencing their own difficulty it's reflecting on their own life in the same way. So that, that in itself has been really a really uplifting thing for me. You know, for me. I can imagine. I think it's, it's an inspiring story because I think every day people come up with situations where they think, oh, I could never get through that. I could never get through that. And it, you could feel at the beginning of the book that that was very much how you felt about the experience of losing the house and what are we going to do now and finding out about the diagnosis, that those both felt like things that people encounter in their lives and think, oh, there's no way 
I can get through it. And yet to find something and experience through that, that was beautiful and transformative and helpful to you over time. I think that's so inspiring. I know it was inspiring for me reading it and it's really generous that you shared it with everyone. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I think, I think it, it, at the beginning we really, really didn't think we'd be able to get through it. Uh, every little bit of the framework of my life had fallen apart and I couldn't see a way into the future or a way forward. And, and the future was just something that felt like a huge void and full of fear about what it might hold. So to be able to spend that time on that strip of wilderness between the ordinary everyday world to one side and the endless horizon of the sea on the other sort of narrowed down our life. It narrowed it right down to just the path and just taking the next step and the next step. And I think that in itself almost led to it being like a almost like a walking meditation and, and in its in that process became really cathartic. It it allowed us not just the physical space of that incredible environment but the mental space to just let things go. And I think it was the process of letting go of the bitterness and the anxiety and the despair that allowed us to to just be able to go forwards, not over, not only that day on the path, but with the rest of our lives, really. Absolutely. I, I really felt that reading it. And I'm so grateful that you wrote it and that you were able to take the time to talk to us today. I know many people wonder about writing stories from personal experience and sharing that material and what it's like. And I think it is important to share it. And it's important to, as you said, make it as good um, a draft as you can, and also not to try to anticipate what other people want to hear, but to really write your own story. So thank you for sharing all of that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.